Hey, it's Ian Altman. Be sure to join me in the same side selling academy where people just like you are taking their business to the next level. And the best part is through the middle of November, it's totally free. So I hope to see you in the same side selling academy. Just go to samesidesellingacademy.com. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Today's guest is Tim Condor. Tim is the VP of customer success at Bolstra. And Tim's a guy who's got expertise in best practices around the full customer life cycle. Everything from acquisition to onboarding to renewals. And these practices have formed the foundation of Bolster's platform and assurance service offering. So it's really enlightening. We're going to talk about the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to transition between sales and execution. The important questions for people to ask in customer experience and customer success strategies and the specific steps you can take to ensure a smooth handoff from the sales side to customer success. You're going to learn a ton from Tim Condor. Tim Condor, welcome to the show. Thank you. So before we dive in, can you share with our audience something surprising that they may not know about you? Yeah, um, I actually race sailboats in Indiana, believe it or not. In swimming pools? I mean, where do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> we have some mud reservoirs around here that we race, but it, it, it's a lot of fun to do, and we travel all over the Midwest doing it. Really? Yeah. I thought you were just pulling my leg. <laughs> nope, it's the real thing. So I want to talk about this this connection between sales and customer service from the kind of the client's point of, point of view. So what's the biggest mistake that you see organizations make when it comes to that handoff or transition between the sales side of the world and the customer experience side? So, you know, it's uh, it's a lack of understanding of what each side needs to succeed. Okay. So, so tell me more about that. What do you mean? So, you know, it's um, it's a lack of empathy in terms of customer success or customer experience, understanding, you know, exactly what does a sales process look like. And then on the flip side is the things that are impactful, um, uh, you know, to CS, our execution, implementation, onboarding and beyond, um, uh, you know, in terms of what was sold and how it was sold. It really creates a chasm of mistrust and the customers caught right in the middle of that at a critical point in time, which is, all right, we just signed a contract. We want to start our project. And I can tell, I can sense that I have two sides that don't see eye to eye. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, one of the, one of the things that that I often talk about, and um, Joey Coleman, um, if you know Joey, who speaks on customer experience, talks about, is that we often lose sight of the emotional journey that the client goes on when they make it when they make a purchase decision. So when sales gets the order, they're elated and excited, and the customer immediately starts having feelings of buyer's remorse and make the right decision. <laughs> but yes. neither side is really aware of what's going on the other one. I think the client generally knows that the salesperson's excited, but the salesperson and the company rarely acknowledges that, you know, right about now, my client's a little bit a little bit worried. They're a little bit nervous that I make the, that I make the right decision. How do I alleviate that? Right. So is that, is that part of what you're talking about? Yeah, it's precisely, uh, you know, um, I've been a customer of enterprise technology and I've been in the services side for many different software companies, large and small, that sell to the enterprise. And uh, right at that point of kickoff, um, we can lose uh, confidence and trust um, quickly. We can uh, create 
um, extremely long variable lag times in our implementation periods, right? There's a real thing called implementation fatigue that a customer will experience. Um, if you think about the stories and the horror stories of I had an 18 month implementation and I finally pulled the plug, right? So, um, uh, you know, in, in many customers' eyes, I think that if they go into that uh, first couple of steps and they, they sense uh, something that, that's, um, that's off or they weren't heard or the requirements that they communicated during sale, both the um, business reason and the emotional reason for purchase haven't been translated into a team and communicated to a team that will execute on their behalf. They've been through it, I think, right from the get-go. That relationship is uh, set up for failure and doom. So, so, Tim, give our listeners a concrete example so they can really understand what might happen and you know what that disconnect looks like in the real world. Yeah. So, um, uh, I guess a real-life story, and uh, I'll sanitize it here, remove all the names. Um, I was part of a large project. It was the fourth attempt at this large project over the course of 10 years. And uh, the previous three attempts um, didn't go well. Uh, massive over budget, um, never hit the timeline, et cetera, resulting in really um, a data mess, right? And so um, we went through an 18-month RFP, right, with detailed requirements, uh, did all of our homework in terms of selecting the perfect vendor, uh, uh, felt confident in our decision. The team came on site. They had never seen those requirements and they had no plan for how they were going to meet our, our business and our emotional reasons for purchase. Oh, perfect. Yeah, you know what? And, and that's what, what gets me is that handoff where sales has gone through and maybe asked great questions and maybe collected great information and then keeps that all in a black hole under lock and key. And yeah. then when the team comes out to execute, they start the meeting by saying, so what are you guys trying to accomplish? And the client thinks, oh, dear God, like we've had this conversation. We spent yes. 18 months making this decision. And now yeah. you guys are like, so why are we here today? Yeah. And, you know, at that point, you're just thankful that they don't allow weapons in the workplace or you'd be killed. Yep. So, so, how do you, so how do you overcome stuff like that? Yeah. So, I, you know – I think we need to explore kind of the root issues, right? The, you know, the, uh, what creates a chasm of mistrust or lack of trust between sales and everyone that touches the customer post-implementation. I think there's a lot of or a lack of empathy on both sides. And so um, just in my own kind of um, personal journey here with trying to solve the problems of customer success, I've developed a deep appreciation for sales and the challenges of sales um, that I didn't have in prior experiences, yeah. So, so, so specifically, what are the what are the things that you look at and you say, look, here are some things they can do. And I'll give you an example. One of the things that that I teach is that part of the salesperson's job is to take notes in a very structured way. It's something I teach called the same side quadrants. It talks about right. the impact the organization has, what they're trying to solve, and then what kind of results they're looking for and how they're going to measure it. And then what 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 I train people to do is look if you're handing this off to a team to execute. You have to schedule a briefing where you share that information with them so that when you bring them out on site, they're not, they don't ask the client that ridiculous question of what are you trying to accomplish. Instead, they come out and say, look, yeah. our understanding is here are the big issues you're trying to solve and why it's so important. And here's how we're going to measure success. What else are we missing? And the client says, oh, I love these guys. They actually asked us questions, listened to us. And yep. let's face it. 
if you don't tell your operational team how the client's going to measure success, they might deliver what they think is going to be successful, meaning the people implementing it, but not what the customer is expecting. Exactly right. So um, I, I'd like to take, an, a, a, I guess, a step further back um, sure. because there there is a way, I call it a smart transition, um, but there's a, you know, just a lack of understanding and appreciation, I think. But I'd like to start on the, on the CS side, the customer success side in terms of the sales process because that information is there, but it's not always in the way that we want to consume it. It's also very common um, in many organizations that if it's stored in a tool like Salesforce, that the CS team may not have access to that, right? Isn't so, that ironic? All this, yeah, all of this wonderful information about the reasons for purchase and um, and what their goals are um, uh, are not always accessible, right? Um, also, too, um, you know, the, the pressures of managing a pipeline um, and the amount of detail that's required uh, to bring back to the organization to to demonstrate that you have a forecastable pipeline is not appreciated by customer success. Um, I didn't appreciate it. And so when we ask for information, uh, we don't ask in, in such a way that one, do we know uh, what they have um, and what we could, what could be useful. But when we ask for additional pieces, um, it can be a big deal, right. To the, to, to the salesperson in terms of the pressures of the job, the pressures of, uh, uh, being accurate and forecasting and weeding out deals that are, are going to go nowhere and finding a deal that, that finally closes. Um, I oft, often wonder if there's something called sales fatigue at the point of signature is like, it was, I have so much going on. It was such hard work to get it to this point and I'm here and I'm done. Right. And, uh, and so, that, you know, just all of those, um, those pressures and uh, frustrations and pain points, uh, are definitely not appreciated um, on the other side of the house. Uh, conversely, uh, you know, sales in terms of understanding what matters, selling things inconsistently, selling things, some, selling something that was unique but not communicated until we get into the point of kickoff, or we get a couple steps down the line and we realize, oh, we set a different expectation here, as you kind of just alluded to. The challenges of implementation of data, overcoming bad processes, time and availability of customers. Um, those are maybe what the sales team uh, doesn't always appreciate. And so what I've been trying to do is really on both sides, um, kind of cultivate the appreciation for the challenges, but then start to work towards what makes sense um, uh, for, for both sides. Um, ultimately improving the customer experience. Okay, so so what are, what are some of the things that, that help fix this problem and make it so that organizations work more effectively and candidly create more satisfied clients? Because let's face it, if someone went through a purchase decision and now when the implementation team comes out, they all of a sudden mistrust everything, then you're really starting off on the wrong foot. So how do we fix that? Yep. So um, the first thing is like I like to call it a, a smart transition, right? So wh what's what's really required to set ourselves up for um, a strong kickoff, a strong first impression? And um, I think there there are only four key questions that really need to be addressed um, in various levels of detail. Now, the complexity of a business, right, and configurability um, of of a, of a product um, can change this a little bit. But at it, kind of the basic level, there are four key questions. Why did they purchase? Who purchased? What was promised? And then what does success mean? So why did they purchase? Yep. What was promised? 
And then how do we measure success? Exactly right. If we can't answer those questions coming out of our sales process, I don't think we've done our job. But I also, uh, you know, in terms of my, you know, my own personal journey here, I think that uh, most uh, sales account executives know uh, perfectly the answers to those questions. Well, and and the the great part is this is that one of the one of the things that I've done, I've done research with over ten thousand CEOs and executives around the world on what questions do they ask when they're making or approving a decision. And the top questions that come back are the first one is what problem does this solve or why do we need it? Right. So that's kind of the why purchase side. And then the biggest thing they want to know after that, and it's always after that, is what's the likely outcome or result that we need to make this worthwhile? Yep. And the so you know, in, in my world, this is something that we teach over and over again, which is look. If you're not meeting with a client and capturing what problem they're trying to solve, why they need it, what's the likely outcome or result, and who else needs to be involved, then you're missing all the important elements for success. And many salespeople fall into the trap of thinking that their job is to convince people to buy stuff. And the reality is their job is to make sure the clients get a successful outcome. Because if they get a successful outcome, you'll have a ton of repeat and referral business. If, on the other hand... They sell something and the client doesn't get a successful outcome, then they're going to be just sucked into the vortex of evil and dealing with a negative toxic client for a long time. Yep, um, likely churning, right? Or or uh, that noisy client that just uh, costs the organization lots in terms of resources. Yeah, resources, reputation, all those things. Yeah. So so those so those questions. So making sure yeah. they've got that. So now once once sales captures that that information. Um, obviously they can't just keep it to themselves. So what do they do? So and that, that's what I mean by a smart transition. You, you know, um, it's, uh, I, I've seen it time and time again. Um, uh, you know, our services teams, our support teams, they want, uh, they want an internal knowledge transfer. It's a great in concept, right? And we need to do that. Um, but they're going to go back to the salesperson, uh, with an 18, uh, page template of all the details that they think they need. Um, and so th- these four key questions are the conversation between the two teams. And so I propose that um, this is the, essentially the agenda um, uh, for that in, uh, that internal conversation that likely um, and should happen uh, before the next kind of face-to-face or touch point with the customer, right, to demonstrate that we're all aligned um, and, uh, and we can go into a point of kickoff um, and – communicate these things back to validate them. Okay. So, so internally, so these are the key questions you need to make sure you have, and then you're transitioning that with the team. Now, how do you propose that people best handle that transition when the execution team comes in? Should sales be present? Should they not be present? What do you think? Yeah. So that's another area. Um, another recommendation that I would have is sales must support through kickoff, right? And how can they support um, one of the biggest ways is by getting the right people on the call, right? So um, uh, it's not uncommon. Um, uh, some of the pain points that I hear from customer success is, uh, re, um, this is a quote, resetting expectations to align with reality um, or reselling to the team that will be implementing, right? Uh, so the team that's implementing was not the team that purchased. So having that purchase and or if they're not the same person, um, the executive sponsor in addition to our, our key contacts present, 
um, uh, you know, should, should be the responsibility of the salesperson. Help us get the right people on the call so that we can confirm expectations and keep momentum um, um, and accelerate from there. Yeah, and this is this is something that's kind of a pet peeve of mine, and I see this a lot in organizations, which is, oh, well, our salespeople, they don't have time to be there at the kickoff because they're, they're working on the next deal. Exactly And right. I just, you know, hold my head in my hands. I'm like, you guys are missing the point. Yep. If you don't have a smooth transition, if you don't have a successful kickoff, then your salesperson is going to have to sell a whole lot more because you're going to either lose money, lose business, or both on the project if – you don't have a successful transition. So the only reason the salesperson wouldn't want to be there is if the salesperson knows they sold something that the company can't deliver. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other point that they, um, you know, I really need salespeople to own, which is take ownership of missed intent, right. Or lack of clarity. Um, it, it could arise during that point of kickoff and it's, uh, you know, the execution, the implementation team, Hey, keep moving forward with how you normally do this. I'll work to kind of clarify what we need to do regarding um, an objection or a challenge as to um, what was included in the contract. Yeah. I also think that if the salesperson isn't there, then the unscrupulous client can easily say, yeah. well, this is what Tim said. I mean, Tim said you guys would do everything and it was all included in the price and, um, you know, everything would be taken care of without us doing any work on our own and paying anything extra. Yeah, I'm sure that's yep. what Tim said. I don't think that's what Tim said. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, I think something that falls as closely in, in, ironically, most people don't have this or um, they've made it really complicated is, you know, templatizing the contractual process or order forms or SOWs. Um, my recommendation has always been putting as much into the um, MSA as possible. So I don't know if that's a, maybe a term that resonates with your listeners, but master services agreement, right? Um, ours is uh, on our website. It's a link, right? So yeah, uh, yeah and, and they can go and reference it um, uh, if needed. But the SOW, the order form, really calls out specifically what are we going to be doing together, right? Excluding proposal and value prop language, which we'll see, um, you know, we have uh, uh, six uh, boilerplate pages of um you know, value props about the company or the product that needs to be pushed aside. We need to have um, a condensed, concise um, order form that really we can confirm the customer. This is what you purchased. And it instructs the team um, specifically uh, uh, um, what they purchased and what might be unique that we need to take into account. Yeah, I, I think I think that whole notion, there's there's a couple things that, that I see that I want to get your, your input on. So one is that notion of the expectations um, with clients up front. I think that the other thing that a lot of organizations struggle with is people who have recurring contracts very often will say to me, so what do we do at renewal time if people aren't renewing? And I always ask, well, why aren't they renewing? Well, they may not be renewing because they're not really getting what they were hoping to out of it. They're not really using it. And I'm like, okay, yeah. so do you think you can have a greater impact on that now, a year later, when they haven't been using it, or are there things you can do along the way that help them get more value so that it's a no-brainer to renew? I mean, you can't yeah. wait till the end. You can't wait till someone has left to say, oh, why are you leaving? It's a little bit late for that. So yeah. how, how do you mitigate that? Yeah, so that might be um, a, a reason to come back. It's a whole topic in and of itself. Um, how do we define 
what success looks like, how do we operationalize success in business outcomes. Um, we have an approach to help companies define that, kind of fill in the middle. Um, but I can tell you, and it may be appropriate for today, kind of uh, what we see in terms of the bad habits, right? So um, renewals are either uh, chaos or crickets. Yep. So chaos of uh, we have to re-justify our value or we have new contacts or um, they want to shrink or have something different from our products and services. Uh, crickets being um, <laughs> the bad habit out there is uh, I have auto renew language. I'm just going to see if it slides by this time, Yeah. right? And it's a guarantee that in year two – uh, when they see that they got auto renewed, they might pay more attention and uh, uh, be a little bit more difficult um, and expect a little bit more. Absolutely, no. I, you know what? I think I think that's it. I think that that very often we kind of take for granted those clients, and it's interesting because with with the number of with number of the organizations I work with, they actually, we actually put in a customer success team that works closely with the client and says. Literally, they they meet or speak every month, depending on the size of business. Some may do it every quarter, every month. But basically, review. Look, here are the objectives we set out in terms of what success was going to look like this quarter. Yeah. Let's discuss how we're doing in terms of meeting that. Now, when you do that, and clients are seeing success, renewal is automatic. Like yes. in their mind, renewal. it's like, oh, we're getting great results. Why wouldn't we renew? Yeah, renewal should be a natural conclusion. It shouldn't be an event. Um, and uh, you know, kind of back to those um, points on uh, what are we measuring? What are we striving to achieve? Um, many teams um, don't actually end up measuring that, right? Or they don't ask the right questions going back to kickoff um, and something that we do differently, which is uh, more of a, an older school uh, services approach, discovery, taking time to really learn about the customer's business and confirm KPIs by confirm. What do, what's strategically important? Um, uh, okay. Um, how do you measure that? And where do you stand today? Right. If you don't ask those questions, we have no hope of maybe in month six um, is an ideal point to really try to to measure, measure how much progress have we made against, um, you know, that goal. Um, many teams just don't set themselves up to actually uh, to measure that. That's actually another uh, great point when I think sales and customer success can partner, right? So one of the things that, um, uh, and curious on, on um, your opinion on this, is uh, um, CS doesn't always um, tell the, the, the real dis- deployment stories, the solutions, the success stories in, in an effective way, right? So um, uh, what, what works isn't always communicated back to sales in a way that it can actually be used um, immediately as part of the selling process. Yeah, you know what? I, I think I think that there's some truth to that, and many times it's a function of you mentioned the term empathy. It's it's understanding what the other what the, what the other party needs. So if you think about it, the the people in charge of customer success need to know why the client's doing this and how they're going to measure success. The salespeople what they need to know from customer success is so. What made for a smooth implementation and what made for a bumpy implementation? Because if I know that, then I can kind of steer things towards that success side with my client, but I might be selling it in a backwards way for you. Right. And if you don't, if you don't tell me that information, I might keep doing it that way. And then you guys say, oh, 
so-and-so's projects are always the worst. Well, yeah, because, <laughs> you know, he's unwittingly making the process worse for everybody, including the customer. Yep. And um, I think something that adds to that uh, in terms of services and customer success is that uh, creating consum- consumable materials about how they work, like by consumable, and it might be consumable in the sales process, but uh, more importantly, I mean to the rest of the organization. Like, what does it take to actually make someone successful? What is our recipe for success? Um, what is a what does implementation look like? Right. So we can all develop an appreciation for what those challenges might be. They're likely going to be data um, overcoming um, bad processes. So. Uh, no matter how good your software is, if you automate a bad process, your software will look poorly. Um, but then also time and availability from the customer's perspective, right? So we need their time and availability. We need their commitment. Um, and uh, I think it's uh, um, uh, absolutely important that the sales team understands what that is so they can begin setting those expectations appropriately as part of the sales process. We don't yeah. want to scare customers away, but in the same respect, um, uh, if we start uh, kind of stating, uh, here, here's what your responsibility is going to look like once we start executing, um, you know, I think that, that that's actually welcomed and expected uh, by the customer. It, it actually is, and I think that people are always so afraid that they're going to uh, upset somebody or make them concerned that they avoid telling them the truth. It's funny, we, in, in my prior business, I, I did – Large scale, I ran a business where we did large scale IT implementations, so technology implementations. And one of the things I would do for any sizable project, you know, when we got into, you know, well into seven figure projects, I would often show up at the kickoffs as the CEO of the company. And I remember sitting in this, in this room in Chicago with one of the largest insurance companies on the planet. And we're talking about this implementation, and there's literally like 28 people in the room in terms of all the different stakeholders and people from my team. And I looked around the room, and I said, so how many of you have ever been involved in a perfect project? And people start smiling, and you look around the room, and no one raises their hand. And I said, yeah, me neither. So the first (laughs) thing I want to talk about today is the protocol and process for when any of us believes that something isn't going right how we should communicate with one another. So that way we don't create a lot of anxiety and stress, but instead we just have clear communication on it. And I remember about six weeks into this project where we're doing some, some pilot stuff and their, their database people change the definition of a database, which is kind of like, you know, the roadmap to where you can find data. So all of a sudden our systems are accessing that can't find anything. Things aren't working. And so the client calls up and says, so, uh, and we, by the way, we gave people a laminated sheet that said, here, here are the steps if you think something's going awry. And, right. um, and the person calls up and you could tell they're like totally freaked out. And they're like, so, so I went through one, step one, step two, and step three said to call you, and that's what I'm doing. And it was <laughs> like, you know, it was just one of these, I'm on step three. And, um, and it was like, okay, well, let us, let us, get, you know, let us look into this. I'll get back to you. Within three hours, is that okay? Yeah, that's what it says on the sheet. Now, internally, our protocol said we're going to get back to people within 90 minutes because that way it wasn't – I just had an expectation for three hours. If I get back to you within an hour, I'm a hero. So we call yeah. them back in 45 minutes and said, yep, well, we're on top of it. And the person says, you know, I have to apologize because I talked to our people internally and 
we changed the database design. I said, yeah, I know. And they said, well, why didn't you say that? I said, because it doesn't matter who's responsible for it. All that matters is that we fix it. So right. I, I don't need to throw someone else under the bus. We just need to get it solved, right? Yep. And it's funny because that story, that client was a reference for many years and they used to always share the story of that that experience where they would say to people, yeah, in fact, we had a time where our own people messed this up and they t- took responsibility for it. And it just – it changed it changed the whole model. Yeah. It kind of brings up um, uh, one of the questions that I love to ask um, on kickoffs. And kind of what you're saying there is uh, why, why do we avoid the hard topics, right? Um, especially when we're trying to establish a, norm, a, a brand new relationship. And so one of the questions I like to hit stakeholders with is what as, what aspect of your culture could put this at this project at risk to fail? Because yeah. they're thinking it, right? And it's in the back of their head. And it's great just to bring it out on the table and empathize and relate to it. Um, it you know, it can, re, it can lead to uh, what you did there, which is, all right, how do we mitigate that now, right? So when that happens, if that happens, what are we going to do about it? And, and Tim, I will tell you that this is something that I teach people on the sales side, which is, so these are the results you're looking for? Great. So even if we delivered everything dead on, what would put that at risk? What would prevent you from realizing that result? And the client right. will always talk about their own internal issues and say, okay, you know, I, I, I got that. So, um, so how can we help you to overcome that? And now you don't seem like an external salesperson. You seem like someone internal on in their project team, just yeah. trying, just trying to solve this. So, so Tim, I, we're, we're, um, we're nearing the end of this. If you had one piece of advice for people, what would that be to, to ensure or better ensure that customer success? We can't avoid um, understanding what customer needs look like. So, um, and they likely extend well beyond our products and services, but we've talked a lot about, you know, achieving this business outcome and your, your product or your service plays a role in that, but it's very difficult for us to understand, um, and maybe empathize too now with the customer, what do those needs look like? Um, I think they fit into five categories, the categories being skill set, depth of experience, competing demands, cost of ownership, and that's not just a financial cost, back to implementation fatigue, even s- selling fatigue, you know, 18-month RFP, the team's going to enter in with, you know, um, a certain level of, okay, now we're beginning the project. And then their ability to deal with change, right? So software specifically is what I focus on is a change in behavior, right? So some people are better at dealing with that and also organizationally facilitating that. And, um, you know, it's working together as a team, sales, CS, executive team to constantly push ourselves to understand what do our customers need in each of those four categories? How can we sell maybe the right level of service in conjunction with our product, uh, but also to, um, you know, operationalize around navigating maybe some of those challenges or the, the common challenges that um, our perfect customers uh, don't, you know, the skill sets they don't have as an example. Yeah. And, and I think that message about people asking the questions that you might think sound like a tough, sound like tough questions, but actually your client's going to welcome them. So if I ask my client, so what would what would put this project at risk? 
it actually increases, doesn't decrease their trust. And that's something right. that I think a lot of people um, tend to overlook. So, Tim, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing at Bolstra and learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah. So um, we have, uh, uh, you know, a lot of passion goes into our blog um, uh, on Bolstra.com. Um, and we're sharing those via LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a, a great avenue to, to reach out to me directly um, and connect with me. Um, but would love to, to continue the conversation, um, uh, you know, with kind of our thought leadership and uh, welcome feedback um, in conversation on those topics. Great, Tim. And we'll, we'll make sure to include your LinkedIn profile as well as the uh, link to Bolster on the website. So, Tim, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, there's so many great things that Tim shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways I think you can use and apply right away. First, remember, we have to have that smooth transition between sales and execution because if our clients don't get results, then it doesn't matter what we sold them. So we want to get to those root issues because otherwise we end up with that lack of trust from our customers. So we want to enable a smart transition. And I love those four key questions because it ties so well to the same side quadrants that we teach in same side selling, which is I need to understand from the client why they purchased, who made the purchase, and then what they were promised and what the success factors are. Remember, if we don't know what success is mutually, then we're just destined to make a bad decision and disappoint our customer. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on or a topic you want me to cover, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.